Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. And so I think it's important for us to recognise too that the Royal the Royal Commission started off from a negative base, right? It was a Royal Commission into the misconduct yeah. of the sector. It wasn't a commission into ascertaining if there was misconduct. So the precedent was already set, the banks and the broader financial services sector were, were misbehaving. And I think what it highlighted, you know, more than more than anything else in terms of what institutions are getting wrong, is that, that the real issue, issue is culture. In this edition of the GRC Professional Podcast, I speak to Kylie Porter, Executive Director at Global Compact Network Australia, about some of the challenges around trust in the corporate sector. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and the GRC Professional Online. And with me today, I have Kylie Porter, who's the Executive Director of Global Compact Network Australia. Hi, Kylie. Hi, Kwame. How are you? I'm well, and I hope you're well in your end as well. I am, thank you. Excellent. Well, I guess today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, corporate sustainability and some of the challenges that we've been seeing in terms of conduct and culture. And really just going to jump straight into it. Um, tell me a little bit about the work that the GCNA does and what it hopes to achieve for the Australian corporate sector. Sure. So the Global Compact Network Australia is the Australian division of the world's largest sustainability initiative, which is the United Nations Global Compact. So globally, the UN Global Compact has almost 10,000 business members and about 4,500 non-business members. In Australia, we work with our Australian companies, um, NGOs and academics, and also some subsidiaries of very large global um, organisations to operationalise the 10 UN Global Compact principles and capacity build on broader societal goals like the SDGs. So the 10 Global Compact principles broadly cover sustainability issues and responsible business issues around the themes of human rights, labour rights, environment and anti-corruption. So we work really with our members to empower them to act responsibly, set an example and create a sustainable future. And quite often that's through activities such as 101 sessions, webinars, advanced learning sessions, community of practice meetings and also through we run a dialogue on business and human rights and a dialogue on anti-bribery and corruption, as well as for the first time we'll be running a conference, which is actually on the theme of rebuilding trust in corporate Australia. Okay, so you said for the first time you're running a conference, so you haven't really done one before touching on other themes. No, so we this is the first year that we're running a conference that will cover broadly um, information across those four themes that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. In the past, we've actually also touched on various, um, we've effectively put together various activities around those four core pillars of human rights, labour rights, anti-corruption and the environment. So, for example, I talked about the annual dialogue on business and human rights. Mm-hmm. We convened that with the Australian Human Rights Commission And each year we do a different topic. So last year the topic was modern slavery and the consideration of broader salient human rights risks. We also do a dialogue on anti-corruption, which we have a lot of representation from business but also from from regulators and the AFP and the like. So, you know, we, we do cover a lot of themes but we've never come together in one place to discuss all those themes and then overlay it with such an important topic like the issue of trust. Right, right. Um, 
And I guess that leads into the next question, really, is, and I think you've covered it with mentioning some of the topics you did just now, but what are some of the critical issues that you see in the Australian corporate environment today? It's a very, very complex question. Um, I think I think businesses across all sectors are facing the issue of the level of trust in business generally, the question of culture and businesses' ability to embed a culture based on ethical and responsible business practices, and also overlaying that with the cha- changing face of legislation. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think this discounts some of the critical issues that we're seeing individual sectors face. So, for example, the question of vertical integration in the banking and superannuation and wealth sectors, packaging and waste concerns in the fast-moving consumer goods sector, and the mounting pressure for decarbonisation and stranded asset plans in the fossil fuel sector. You know, from our perspective, we interviewed or sorry, surveyed our members at the start of the year about what those big responsible business issues are that keep them awake at night. And, you know, our members responded saying that the big issues for them were modern slavery, climate change, community development, waste reduction and anti-bribery and corruption. And then this was followed very closely with that transition to a low-carbon economy and rebuilding trust. Um, and you know, some of these issues are the issues that matter most to our members. They're not really surprising. You know, we have new Commonwealth and New South Wales modern slavery legislation, mm-hmm. and this is strongly influencing decisions about supply chain management, salient human rights issues, and how to work pro- more proactively across functions with suppliers and with employees. Now, obviously, climate change is a very huge issue for society at large, not just business. And so whilst many of our members are working towards meeting the Paris Agreement, we're still seeing gaps in how corporate Australia will tackle climate change. So, for example, we aren't seeing the large uptake in companies committing to and adopting a science-based target, which from a UN Global Compact perspective we see as a key indicator of a company's commitment to tackling climate change and moving to a net zero economy. It's also not surprising that we're seeing deepening interest in waste reduction, particularly given the expanding interest in the circular economy consumer preferences shifting more towards that reuse and recycle and you know I think about last year with the really strong movement towards plastic free July and the number of consumers that really jumped on board. Um, From our perspective too it was really good to see anti-bribery and corruption feature as a major concern you know bribery and corruption hinders social um, and economic growth and you know I'm sure many of your members uh, will understand that and it's important for companies to understand their obligations both in Australia and globally but they also need to be aware of the benefits of having a strong policy that seeks to prevent bribery and can act as a, as a, really as a cure when bribery arises. Yeah. And it's also important that companies are aware of the proposed amendments happening to anti-bribery laws in Australia, whistleblowing laws, etc. So, look, I think overall there's, there are numerous really large issues yeah. um, facing business at the moment. There's definitely no easy fix to any of these. But a lot of them do intertwine quite strongly with a lot of the social, you know, broader social issues. Mm. You know, it's it's very clear that for business now, it's it's not enough for them just to produce a produce a service or a product. They actually need to actively engage with the issues and the challenges that simultaneously impact society as a whole as well as business. You know, they can't view these in silos. And I think. From our perspective, you know, that's going back to your question, you know, that's that's one of the really big um, challenges for business at the moment and the critical issue that they're really facing. 
Yeah, excellent. And you did mention trust quite a few times there, and I guess that's pretty yes. interesting. Um, you know, ASIC has also been talking a lot about helping, um, especially the financial sector, sort of rebuild the trust that's been lost, I guess, particularly with the Royal Commission that we've just had, the hearings and the final report that was re released earlier this year. Which yes. leads into my next question. I mean, from your perspective, what do you think, I guess, especially the financial institutions, what is that they keep getting wrong? Uh, look, I think it's fair to say that, that it's been a really big, probably close to 18 months for the financial services sector. You know, we've had the AFRA report into CBA, which a lot of businesses, not just in the financial service sector, but more broadly, actually say, read it, replace it with your business's name, because it gives really good insights into, into how we should be managing things. Um, you know, the financial services sector has also faced the Productivity Commission's report into changes to the superannuation sector, a Senate inquiry into financial services targeted those facing hardship, and then obviously, you know, the Hainraw Commission um, and his recommendations. And I think, you know, it's important to know that this, those big reports are in addition to the other issues the sector has faced, like the bank bill swap rate or BBSW court cases, ASIC investigations, etc. So for, from our perspective, I think it's really important to firstly set the scene about the banking and broader financial services sector. You know, the banks are all top 10 ASX listed companies. They employ tens of thousands of Australians and they form a fundamental part of our corporate makeup and also of our society. You know, we're, we're completely reliant on the banking sector to be able to live our lives, whether it's getting our salary paid into an account, buying a litre of milk on our debit cards, purchasing a house or saving for an overseas holiday. And I think one of the big things for Australia is that, you know, we don't generally value how banks contribute to society and how they facilitate our needs. And a lot of us don't see the, the work that the sector does to contribute to things like community development, financing green energy projects, implementing policies that, you know, prevent or mitigate the risk of lending to high-risk sectors, or even implementing diversity and inclusion policies that are actually considered best in class. However, bank bashing still seems to be a sport. Yes. And I think, you know, the Royal Commission really did shine a light on some of those systemic issues. Yeah. But also it's shone a light on the consequence of individual greed. Um, and so I think it's important for us to recognise too that the Royal, the Royal Commission started off from a negative base, right? It was a Royal Commission into the misconduct yeah. of the sector. It wasn't a commission into ascertaining if there was misconduct. So the precedent was already set that banks and the broader financial services sector were, were misbehaving. And I think what it highlighted, you know, more than more than anything else in terms of what institutions are getting wrong, is that, that the real issue is culture and right. how we can instill culture from the top, how we treat staff, and how we provide a governance structure, including remuneration, that's based on purpose before product, product profit, sorry. You know, the, the Royal Commission allowed these issues to come to the fore you know it demonstrated how there'll always be some bad eggs working in corporations just like there are bad eggs in academia and government and civil society but it really did highlight that poor culture is the root cause of misconduct you know not understanding community expectations can actually lead to some really detrimental processes and um, responses and behavior within corporates and I think you know this is where institutions are really getting it wrong. They're not um, they're not understanding that a 
the three-year horizons to achieve shareholder returns and growth is going to run alongside a really strong cultural change. You know, and this is where institutions need to rethink um, how they how they instill culture in their organisation. You know, they need to view culture as being interconnected with every facet of the business and that culture needs to be fundamentally based on responsible and ethical business practices. And, you know, Hain, Hain really did talk about this quite strongly in his recommendations when he said that culture, governance and remuneration march together. So improvements in one area will reinforce improvements in others. Inaction in one area will undermine progress in others. And this is where I think institutions have been generally getting it wrong and not just the financial services sector. So, I mean, looking broader, broader than the financial services sector and all the different reviews that we've seen come out, do you think these will lead to any sustainable change or are we going to find ourselves in the same position like in 10 years' time? Look, I think it's inevitable, um, you know, I think it's inevitable that we will see sustainable change. You know, I I don't think that we should expect that sustainable change to happen really quickly. You know, we putting aside the fact that we're seeing improvement, like the Elderman Trust Barometer that came out earlier this year for Australia definitely highlighted that we're seeing improvements in the level of trust in business, which, to be honest, is quite surprising given everything else that's been going on in that business landscape. But it, it doesn't negate the fact that there are still a lot of questions about whether business is doing the right thing, whether business is speaking up on social issues, um, whether business is actually proactively managing not only their culture but the way in which they respond to environmental, social and governance challenges. So for that actual change to be sustainable, you know, rebuilding the trust deficit has to actually be the responsibility of all parts of business, right? They, they all need to recognise that business will benefit from a culture that enables employees to trust their employer more that it enables their customers to understand the connection between a company's culture and values in delivering their products and services and a culture that meets community expectations. And, you know, it's also, I think it's also inevitable that that to achieve that, a business really does need a strong risk compliance and governance framework and that, that the whole company needs to believe in what that framework is trying to achieve so that they can ensure that corporate culture is actually a driver of the ethical conduct and trust. You know, and it goes back to sort of what Hain was saying around, you know, good corporate culture can lead to ethical conduct, poor corporate culture can lead to misconduct and mistrust. So I think the only way that we're going to get this this sustainable change is when we see companies actually leading by example. You know, we, we see businesses ensuring that their board and their CEO take the lead in stopping behaviour that's detrimental to their reputation but mm-hmm. most importantly isn't aligned to responsible business practices. And the, the sustainable change will come from those directors and boards who authentically take account of society's expectation of business behaviour. And that's that's in regards to the broader community, it's in regards to planet and it's in regards to governance responsibilities and shareholders. You know, those, those who understand the inherent financial opportunities that exist in operating this way are the ones who will thrive and really demonstrate that, that fundamental shift in sustainable change. 
Right. And of course, you've given me those sort of practical, I guess, building blocks of rebuilding that trust. Um, but what yeah. are some of maybe some of the barriers to organizations building trust? Look, I think a lot of it, the, the barriers are really around changing the narrative and authentically managing to do that. Right. Like, so fundamentally rethinking your business model and seeing beyond what the business does and how it can serve a much wider purpose. Right? And you need the leadership to drive those, those changes and processes. It needs to be led, to the top, led from the top and you need a receptive audience who is willing to listen. So this is going to take a lot of effort working for business to work across different sectors, for business to work with the media so that we're hearing more of these positive good news stories about what business is doing business looking at more partnering with not-for-profits to actually um, deliver on some of those programs that contribute more strongly to what the community needs and more broadly to community development and also working with the government to really advocate for changes to to be it to policy or to legislation that's going to instill this sort of the shift in corporate culture that's that's needed for us to have sustainable change. And I think, you know, one of the barriers, unfortunately, is time. You know, we need time to be able to do this, which means that shareholders of these big listed companies need to be patient and need to trust that a company is working towards changing its culture, but that that change will take time. And that change might mean some people in business speaking out about the changes that have to happen from the top. So, you know, I think whilst they do, they sound like very big barriers, they with a change like this fundamentally needed from from the top level of management this is the only the only way you're going to break down those barriers is to see that leadership from the top and see it flow down into all levels of the organization right right and, and in there you've also managed to sort of touch on some of the questions that organizations should be asking themselves when it comes to this issue um so I guess it really leads us to the final question. Um, what advice do you have for risk and compliance professionals, you know, who will be trying to get trust right in their organisation or rebuild trust? Absolutely. I think part of it is actually keep doing what they're doing. You know, I think one of the, and, you know, from my professional experience, most of the risk and compliance professionals who I've dealt with, you know, they're the ones who are asking the question about, what does this legislation mean for us? And not just from a business perspective, but what does it mean for employees, for example? I think it's really important that risk and compliance professionals promote strong culture in their teams, but also demonstrate it when they're, when they're dealing with broader teams. And this might be about asking questions of broader teams and potentially, you know, the, asking questions directly of the people implementing a sales strategy or working on the development of a product, for example, about whether what they're doing has a benefit not only for customers, not only for shareholders, but also for employees in the broader community. And I think it's important that risk and compliance professionals overlay their work with the question of what trust means to them as an employee, mm -hmm. what trust means to them as a risk and compliance professional, but also what it means to them as a member of the community. And if they have doubts, this is where they need to ask themselves the question about what can they influence to remedy those doubts and what changes need to be put in to ensure that culture is reflective of those community expectations. And then finally, it's about not giving up, right? Like cultural changes and rebuilding trust takes a lot of time. They're not short term. Some of it will be a really bumpy ride. And it's, it's important to keep reminding yourselves that 
it will happen, but it will take a lot of time and it will take a lot of perseverance. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, Kaylee, for being on the podcast today. Not a problem at all, Clummy. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute and the original music was written by Rob Neary.